Welcome to KOAM Presents, a podcast produced by KOAM News Now and the four states' most watched news team. I chose to invest money into a renewable energy resource like solar panels so that I can sleep at night knowing that I am doing my part to create a cleaner earth for my grandchildren. CDL made that decision easier by educating me on how I can save money and how renewable energy can save the environment. Because what I do today matters tomorrow. Call CBL today to see how you can make a difference. Welcome back. The last episode. Here we are behind the desk. We've made it this far. I have to thank our sponsors before we get into it. CDL Electric. Make sure you can check them out for any of your electric, plumbing, heating, anything like that at CDLelectric.com. Grand Lake Casino. Great place to uh, hang out with friends and enjoy yourself at GrandLakeCasino.com. And obviously you can tell if you're watching us, maybe if you're listening, I don't know. Um, we are at JV uh, Downtown here in Joplin on Main Street next to Wilders. Um, it's an awesome place, a great environment. It's family friendly. They're having live music. Um, no official open date yet. Um, you got to check them out on Facebook, JB's Downtown. Um, they have an open house this Sunday from 7 p.m. to 11 p.m. And just a cool, cool environment. We're happy to be hanging out here and with the Dow, with the Dow. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> glad to be fun. here. I know we were talking. It was, uh, it went by pretty quick. I mean, yeah. six, six weeks. Six episodes. Six episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, Covering I've, a bit of history. Uh, I would say quite a bit. Yeah. I've, uh, I've learned a lot. And I mean, it's been interesting to kind of revisit and rethink about some things that I had sort of forgotten about or hadn't <laughs> thought about much. Walk down memory lane. Mm-hmm. Today we're going to, we, we talked a lot about the four state, which obviously, you know, we are, you know, servants to our community. Uh, servant might be a strong word, but, you know, we like to serve for our community to provide information and entertainment and things like that. Um, but we're going to talk about a little KOAM history. How about serving history. our community? Do you know what KOAM why those letters were chosen? I do not. Kansas, Oklahoma, Arkansas, Missouri. <laughs> seems, that seems super obvious. Well, I know, I feel but like, I feel like not I everybody know knows. It doesn't immediately come to mind. But yeah, no. we serve you know the corners of those four states. That makes a lot of. I because mm-hmm. I always think of just the call, like the call letters. No, I know. Yeah, yeah. It was very deliberate. It was. Mm-hmm. I mean. Gosh, back in the 50s? 1953, December 13th is when KOAM-TV went on the air. Actually, there would have been KOAM radio prior to that. Yeah, and yeah. those records, I mean... It was, go ahead. You no, know, there's records. I mean, it's it's a mixed bag, I would say, of, of records as far as what we do and don't have. You know, there's stuff I've seen just working here, mm-hmm. but I don't really know what our process was back in the day for keeping records. Um, this is very limited. Really? You know, when this station went on the air, um, most of what went on was, was live. Pretty much everything they originated from the station was live. It was straight to the people. And correct. Nothing, yeah. I mean, and, and, and they had um, newscasts from, from pretty much day one. They had musical shows, live in-studio musical mm-hmm. shows. One was um, Circle 7 Jamboree, and more famously, <laughs> more long-lasting was one called Melody Matinee. I have heard of that one. Okay, yeah, that that's was, a big name. Yeah, it started... Uh, Shortly after the station went on the air, this was the first station in the area, by the way, and um, then continued until 1985. By the time it went off the air, it was the longest running daily local uh, music show in the nation. (laughs) At one time, everybody had these things. Mm -hmm. It was also um, a kids program called uh, Fun Club, where you had puppets in the studio yeah. and a host and he would introduce cartoons and you had some kids in the audience on bleachers and he'd interview the kids that were done at the station done at the station oh, wow. which also uh, was on the air from the inception of the station or shortly afterward until the mid 80s i believe also till 1985 when there was a change of ownership and rethinking yeah. about what our mission should be but as far as records well because those uh, shows were live there weren't many records. Uh, there were maybe a few photographs. And um, videotape in the early days hadn't even been invented yet. And then even when it was, uh, 
these shows, because they were live, they were infrequently recorded. And if they mm-hmm. were, the tapes were generally erased and reused. Yeah. Or the formats would change over a period of years. And in fact, after those shows went off the air, Melody Matinee and Fun Club, people would ask us, they say, boy, I would really like to find an episode of Fun Club from this particular date because I was on it or my mom was <laughs> on it or my grandfather was on it. We say, we don't have it. We don't have anything. We're yeah. sorry. And when I would, I would talk to civic groups over the years and they would always ask about those, those shows. <laughs> Where are they? Where are they? And all we had, the final episode of Melody Matinee in 85, we, somebody had the foresight to record that. So mm-hmm. we had that. And beyond that, we had a few seconds of Fun Club. I mean, I think less than 20 seconds. Yeah. That had somehow survived on some tape. And then later, um, the 2010s or so, somebody from Parsons pointed out that they had an old kinescope recording of uh, Fun Club. A recording that was actually made off of a TV. But it was kind of grainy. It wasn't great. And then we hit a gold mine. This was about um, 2016, I think. Our uh, longtime uh, digital wonder um, uh, graphics artist and um, the guy who's worn a lot of hats at the station, Dale Switzer, has been around since oh, 1975. Yeah, yeah. Um, he was told that he had seen online someone was selling some a film canister, a couple of film canisters, and they were labeled KOAM, and one also said... Fun Club. I thought, <laughs> no Whoa. kidding. They were film, um, film, and and he looked at the label online. I think it was through eBay or something, and it had the name Jack Lawrence. Well, Jack Lawrence was a guy who had been a um, an engineer at our station from the earliest days, from um, 1953 or shortly thereafter, up through most of the 80s. He had passed. And it turns out that these film canisters had somehow ended up in a box of stuff that maybe at his uh, estate sale and then it ended up at a flea market. And at any rate, some people were selling this. Dale jumped on it. He bought it. (laughs) And he loads up this film in a film projector. See what's on there. He had no idea. Did we have a film projector? Yes, uh, oh, he had access. Didn't... He had access to one. It was an oh, old okay. film. It was an old film projector. I think. I think there was some question about whether it would work, <laughs> but it did. The film was kind of brittle and would break, mm-hmm. and he had to splice it back together. But Lance, it was amazing because it had footage. Um, a lot of it from 1963, and it showed things like Fun Club and Melody Matinee, and bits of old newscasts, and more. And it wasn't exactly what was seen on TV. It was actually better in a couple of ways, because you would see the show, but you would see it was behind the scenes of the show. It was shot by Jack Lawrence. Again, he was an engineer at the time. Yeah. But you would see the show, and you would see the photographer, the camera operators. You'd see the, we saw the control room, the master control. And... Even better, it was all in color. Wow. These were programs that had never been seen in color, even when they were broadcasting, because we were broadcasting, at least in the early days, in just black and white. Yeah. And Dave was talking to me about this, and, and we were excited about this. <laughs> and, and I convinced him, I said, this has to be a news series. Oh, definitely. It's not just interesting to us. It's got to be interesting to a lot of people. And this is a part of not just our station history, but a four-state history of K-O-A-M, Kansas, Oklahoma, Arkansas, Missouri history. And we, we need to get this out there. And so it became a five-part report on the discovery of the reels. And, and then we broke it up in the, the, the musical shows and, and fun club and the news production. And we, we took some of this film, put it on a laptop, and I took it to various people who were parts of the early days. I took it to um, Virgil Glenn, who was 90-ish, who was a performer on Melody Matinee, and showed it to him. And showed it to uh, Tom Freeman had been a host of Fun Club, and his uh, widow Joanna, Joanne was still around, I showed it to her. And um, Merle Allen, who was um, 
he's well known in the Joplin community. He's involved in lots of civic things and hospitals, uh, charities, and so on. But little known by most people in the 1960s for a time as a young man, he was an anchor at KOAM. And I showed it to him. And every one of these people were just delighted. They were thrilled. (laughs) They talked about the history of the station. And I took it to a a woman, uh, Jackie Steinbauer, who is the daughter of Jack Lawrence, who shot this film. And we looked at some of that footage of Fun Club. 1963, December of 63. It was a Christmas episode. Again, it's in color. And we see these kids in the stands. And there's one girl, um, pre-adolescent girl, who's walking her little toddler sister up to meet Santa and put put her on his lap. And this was a surprise to all of us, including Jackie. She says, that's me. And that's my baby sister. She had no memory of the event. Really? But when she saw that, it was emotional uh, to oh. see. Here we are, Fun Club. We're seeing behind the scenes, but we're seeing her. This was film that was shot by her father. And a lot of the film, uh, most of the films, uh, the footage on the film, was actually documenting uh, Christmas parties that were in the studio over the years, from the 1950s up through the late 1960s. And she was in some of those, too, as were the others. So you kind of see them behind the scenes. Yeah. But when we saw the film of Jackie with her sister, it occurred to us that this wasn't just Jack Lawrence, TV engineer, documenting the history of a TV station. This was a loving father documenting a family moment. And when we saw all of this footage of all of these Christmas parties and we showed it to all of these people, they invariably said the same thing. We were family. This was family. This was family. This was part of our broader KOAM family. That's how they viewed that time. That's how many of us still view the station. And, And for those of us whose careers overlapped with some of these people. Early part of my career at KOAM and Dale's career at KOAM overlapped with the ends of some of theirs. So we worked with these people and it was, it was exhilarating to see them again and to see them young and in color and behind the scenes and yeah. laughing and doing all of these things. And when we put this on air, five-part report people can access by the way this through youtube oh um, yeah well definitely we'll link it um, um, but and i think if they just search under um the lost reels koamtv they can see the five parts and those who remember some of those shows they'll be excited those who have no prior knowledge <laughs> of these shows i think will find it enlightening and kind of heartwarming yeah and um a little bit bittersweet but mostly just nice because it it is our family and these are kind of um some of our ancestors in our koam family that many of us still feel a connection to and and i think all of us the the greater area has a connection to well even i mean in our hallway at the pittsburgh you know we still have old pictures and things like that Mm -hmm. um and i mean i didn't know many of those people but their history resonates you know and just to see that behind you know i watched some of the lost reels and like you said, like, you know, kind of candid, just a family, they're just, they're we, just hanging out. You know, and we a owe time. a great debt of gratitude to these people. They invented, invented our industry. They had to yeah. make it up as they went along. They didn't have a template. <laughs> they were just They didn't have a roadmap. Yeah. Right? They were the pioneers. They had to figure it out. And they kind of laid down a map for the rest of us um, to follow and build upon. Not to mention the aesthetic of the time. Just like, you yeah. know, like the, their eyes watched you the party one. You saw the way one. they dressed. Yeah, the, yeah, it's just like the elegance of it. And like, you know, it's, we know we talk now about how small cameras are and how high tech, but it's just these huge honking machines. Yeah. And, and you see, you know, uh, women in, in pearls and men with, you know, their suits and, and cigars. <laughs> yeah, the, I did uh, see the cigars that made me laugh, yeah, just all hanging yeah. out. Christmas dinner with cigars, but uh, yeah, it was a formal affair. But it was all right in our studio. The same, same one where the very first TV image 
in this area was broadcast in 1953. And the same one that we use every day, the same one that I've worked in now for decades, it's that same room. And when I work there, sometimes I reflect on all of that history and all of the information that was broadcasted all these generations of people from that same room of that same building. There's a, for people who haven't seen our studio, those steps that walk down, you know, you walk down to the steps, it's just kind of a different space. It's like, once you walk through the threshold, you know, you're, it's on. Yeah. Um, do you have a favorite, cause you know, like I said, it's always been the same room, but do you have a favorite set over the years that you have been here? Or would you say like the most recent one? Or was there one year where like, man, I really liked that set. It just, the sets have changed a lot, and they've yeah. changed positions in the studio a lot. You know, they'd be on one end of the studio or another. Mm-hmm. A favorite generally is whatever the most recent is, because <laughs> generally it's the most technologically up-to-date. Yeah. Um, allows us to do different things. For a lot of years, I used to sit behind a desk, um, generally really? with a co-anchor. Yeah, it seems odd now, because now we stand yeah, behind I a mean, desk. Yeah, I mean, for the longest time. Um, and I prefer um, standing, actually. Um it does, it does change my day. I stand now uh, for a couple hours a day more than I used to just by virtue of the fact that I anchor, you know, minimum of three newscasts a day. Yeah. Um, hmm. But yeah, I don't know that I have a favorite set. I'll tell you, one of the early uh, weather sets that we found on the Lost Reels was, um, a, a, it was just a simple weather board. Now it's all electronic and we yeah. use green screen and, and we have actually for a number of years, but uh, this was a grease pencil uh, map. It was a map on a, on a glass board where the uh, anchor would use a grease pencil to, to kind of, you know, put it. His, Literally his mark graphics all over. On there, right. And um, uh, Jim Hollis in, on this video or on this film was the weather forecaster on that. He went on to have a um, Hall of Fame career at WIBW as, uh, as an anchor. Uh, I called Jim and I told mm-hmm. him we had this film and he commented a little bit on, <laughs> on the technology and how primitive it was and the set in some ways was primitive, but um, you know, it was cutting edge in its time. Oh yeah, and it kind of had an elegance to it um, for the, or even to, it's not, you know, it's older for my time, but like, you know, late 70s, early 80s, um, we used a bit for your, the promo for this podcast. It was like the introductions. It's like the, oh, yeah. the introductions just kind of had a different feel to it. Right. The, the music, the pacing, the yeah. look of it. Yes. And I'll tell you something, Lance. Um, someday, whatever we're doing today will seem the same way. Oh, I'm sure, you know. It, because the technology changes and you think, wow, did we really do it that way back in 2022? <laughs> because, you know, things move on. The, our TV station, little known fact, is, is probably the first station in the country to use live weather radar. We think that's mm-hmm. true. We, um, no one disputes it that we can find. <laughs> Can't challenge it. Well, way back in way back in the day, shortly after the station went on air, they uh, some engineers had taken um, a radar that was off of a World War II era bomber, a plane, and put it on top of the station. It was turned upside down, and then they had a screen in the studio, just a little round screen that had this swirling, you know, this image, and a camera would be fixed on that. And it was showing radar, and they would use that to show where storms were moving in. Wow. Now, of course, every country, every uh, station has had that yeah, for but years and years and years. But no one else had had it before KOAM did it. I mean, that would have blown someone's mind seeing that, you know, for the first time, mm-hmm. you know, coming. They're like, that is live, you know, like, I don't know. Like, I think Doug and I talked about on the previous Behind the Weather um, about how long they had to used to have to wait for data, and so like you know now it's just a whole different world. Now it's instantaneous, right? Instantaneous. Wow. Well, we're gonna take a quick break, and when we get back, we're gonna talk about some of your history in relation to the station, right. and kind of where TV's going. So right. we'll be right back right after this. This podcast is brought to you by Grand Lake Casino. Enjoy the best gaming in the tri-state area. 
Visit GrandLakeCasino.com for current promotions and entertainment. Grand Lake Casino, where friends play. Highway 10, north of Grove, Oklahoma. Welcome back again here hanging out at JB's downtown. We're talking a little history, and we got to talk about your history. You always like to talk about all the other people and how interesting they are, but we think you're pretty interesting. I'm pretty so, old. <laughs> I have a lot of history. A lot of history. <laughs> no, you still got plenty of history left. Uh, I, I, we were just in our break talking. We want to take it from the very beginning. We're kind of doing it the opposite of with Doug's. The Doug, you know, Doug's we, we started at the beginning in the beginning, and now yeah. we're kind of taking it full circle. Okay. So, when you were younger, you know, did this what you always wanted to do? Always, um, no. I think my first career ambition was that I was going to be a cowboy. <laughs> That'd um, be pretty good. Job. Yeah, I think you talk about Doug. I think Doug mentioned that he wanted to ride a garbage truck. Yeah, he wanted to be and, like a trash know, man. Yeah, if you're a kid, you know, riding a truck, that's pretty cool. But what about riding a horse? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, but shortly after I gave up uh, my uh, cowboy ambitions, I think <laughs> I... Uh, I knew I wanted to be a writer. I had been encouraged mm -hmm. by uh, some teachers at a young age, and I just uh, enjoyed the process of writing. I enjoyed uh, stories, particularly true stories. Yeah. And um, that's what journalism is, right? Um, and so, yeah, I drifted into that, you know, through high school. Went to, when I went to uh, college, uh, Central Missouri, University of Central Missouri, I... Um, Went there with the idea of getting a journalism degree, mm -hmm. thinking I was going to be a print journalist. By the way, broadcasting hadn't really particularly interested me, or I'm not even sure it even entered my mind as as an option. I really? just wanted to write. I wanted to write for maybe a newspaper or a magazine. Mm -hmm. I wanted to document stories. And um, when I was in college, I had I was fortunate to have some really um, excellent professors. Uh, one of them. Um, Dr. Kuldeep Rampal, who was born in India and educated in London, and I think worked for the New York Times, wow. and um, he taught uh, broadcast, or excuse me, he taught um, news writing. Mm -hmm. And I, I remember first day of class, Lance, he had told us, he said, be prepared because some days you're going to walk in here and I'm going to say, leave this room, you're going to go out with a notepad and a pen and take notes and get quotes and then by the end of this period this end of this class period you will have to write a news story at least one full typewritten page back in the day when there were things called typewriters oh yeah that would be difficult <laughs> yeah the class period was uh, less than an hour but he, uh, he would do that and and uh, we would learn to write fast by necessity think fast and write fast yeah uh, and a, a law professor, a mass comm law professor. He, this was a class that we always put off till everybody put it off to their senior year because it was the <laughs> hardest one. He got taught it, it. He taught it like we were law students. You oh, know, he yeah. would, if he would say, you know, what's the significance of New York Times versus Sullivan? You better know it. And, and he told us on day one, he says, and by the way, everybody memorize the First Amendment to the Constitution. Because if I call on you randomly at any point in this class, you better be able to stand up and recite it. And, and you need to know it by tomorrow. Oh, um, wow. Um, but some great instructors. Uh, yeah. And, and I was trying to get experience when I was in college. Mm -hmm. And I, I was, um, worked on the campus uh, magazine called The Medium. I was photo and layout editor. I spent a lot of time in dark rooms, took a lot of photos. We'd get extra credit if, if I could. Anytime you get a photo published in the local newspaper, <laughs> I was writing for um, a cable TV news broadcast. I was the police beat reporter. I'd go down to the police station every day and I'd talk to the, the woman behind the desk and she would, you know, let me look at the police reports and I'd take notes for, for stories. And, oh, okay. And, um, I was, did the same sort of thing with the campus radio station. I was a DJ for a time. I was gradually drifting into broadcasting almost by accident because that's where my opportunities were. Yeah. And our station, uh, I guess it was my senior year, just before my senior year, we put a PBS station on the air at the university, uh, KMOS TV, Central uh, Missouri uh, Channel 6. 
And uh, we had a weekly news magazine that I started um, writing for and eventually and reporting for and then anchoring for. And they had me uh, hosting uh, telethons. And, and the uh, general manager there was named uh, John Bradley. He had been a war photographer, war film maker, documentarian in World War II. He'd been talked out of retirement to come back and be the GM for this new PBS station. Wow. He was a great guy, great instructor, taught a lot about shooting stories and yeah. how to tell stories visually. And I've been putting in so many hours there. And, and uh, I remember one day John came to me and said, Dow, I'm, I'm sorry, but we've got you on the paid staff, but we can only, I can only get clearance to pay you for I don't know, 60 or 80 hours a month or whatever. And I was thrilled. I, I thought, <laughs> well, are you it. kidding me? Because he knew I was putting in a lot more hours than that, but I've been doing it free. Yeah. I thought, you're going to pay me for something? Yes. Thank you, John. <laughs> I, you know, I had been working. I'm, and the, the, my senior year in college, a tornado, actually two tornadoes hit our city of license in Sedalia, Missouri, mm-hmm. and took us off the air, hit our broadcast tower. And John said, now, when we go back on the air, we estimate it's going to be in a week. Uh, we need a, a documentary on this tornado that is hit the town, and I want you to produce it and write it and narrate it. And so, okay. And we had a team of photographers who went out and um, shot stuff. And, and I remember spending um, a lot of hours going through the tape and uh, transcribing interviews and racing the clock and this was this was getting close to to graduation i almost picked i almost missed the opportunity to pick up my graduation gown because i had forgotten that there was a deadline and i was late at night i was editing uh, trying to get this done before the station went back yeah but um got it done an hour long uh documentary that we so you were going to school and working on this documentary like yeah. at this, basically working. In fact, even after I graduated, um, John, he hired me to, um, until I found a job, to uh, produce an, another documentary. Um, this was on um, hot air ballooning. It was a big festival in central Kansas. 50, 100 balloonists, I don't know, from all over the country. Yeah. Um, so it'd be a great documentary subject. He gave me a flat fee. It was me and another guy we were both the photographers on this and interviewers on this mm-hmm. and and john and we stayed in um like a, a trailer for several days you know just shooting the stuff going on balloon rides and then um yeah, producing an hour-long documentary that's awesome yeah it beat it beat flipping burgers for the summer yeah as far no as I, was concerned. I would say so yeah. it didn't pay as well by the way <laughs> But yeah, that was um, until I, I found a summer job, or found a more permanent job, yeah. which wasn't until um, October after I graduated in the spring. And that was at a, I, I actually got an, um, I'd seen an ad, I'd been sending out audition tapes, out, um, like videotapes of, of mm-hmm. your work to everybody and uh, to every TV station. And you were in Sedalia at the time. And you were oh, I was in so Warrensburg. Oh, Warrensburg. The university okay. was. The yeah. city of license was Sedalia. Yeah. Um, um, I was living at home with my folks in Holden, Missouri at, the, okay. at, at that time. Um, uh, there had been an ad for a TV station in Joplin, and I responded to it. But it wasn't KOAM. It was a, it was a competing station. I guess it doesn't matter if I say the station. No, yeah, it's okay. fine. So, it, um, yeah, it was KODE, Channel 3. Really? And wow. um, so I drove down to KOAM, and I interviewed with the then news director, Dave Kester. And I was trying to sell him on me, and he was trying to sell me on the station. And he would do it this way. He, would t- he took me around, and he showed me the station's cars, and he said, look at this. We have our fleet of cars is almost as large as the cars over at KOAM. And he says, oh, and by the way, we have a new live van, and it's, it's going to be just as good as the one at KOAM. And on and on, he was talking about comparing his station to KOAM. I had never been to Joplin before. I didn't know. <laughs> had no idea. Like, I had never heard of KOAM. Yeah. But indirectly, 
unintentionally, Dave was kind of selling me on his competitor. It's like, you know, he was trying to sell me the off-brand cola by comparing himself to Coke. <laughs> so, and Dave offered me a job um, before I left. And I said, look, can, can I think about this a little bit? And mm-hmm. When do you need to know? He said, I'll give you a couple of days. I said, cool. So before I left Joplin, I found a payphone and a phone book back in the days when such things existed. Yep, I had to go on the search. And I called K-O-A-M. And I said, look, you don't know me. I know you're not advertising for a position, but I'm looking for a job. I happen to have some audition tapes and resumes. Can I come by? Wow, and, just come unannounced. Unannounced. <laughs> and they said, oh, you don't have a lot of time. I said, I won't take much time. It's okay, yeah, come on by. And um, they looked at my stuff, I interviewed. This was the news director, Karen Adams, and then she had a boss director of news services. I left the tape, said, we'll get back with you. The next day, I think it was, KOAM called and said, we didn't have a position, but we're going to offer you one. Wow. And um, I said, I'll take it. And I, uh, and by the way, KOIM was offering me less money than, <laughs> it wasn't much difference, but I, the, the pay wasn't the relevant point for me. I just, yeah. I felt a connection. I just felt like this is where I belonged. It was something right. And then I had to call Dave and I said, I'm not able to accept your offer. Thank you for the opportunity. And then I had to add, and by oh, the way, no. yeah, I'm going to accept one of your competitors. The conversation from that point was very short. Was, oh, I can imagine. Thank you. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> He's a nice guy. And, yeah. Um, you know, um, and I sincerely was grateful for the opportunity. But that's how my career started at KOAM. And then that was in 80? October of 1980. 80. Yeah. And so, I mean, like I said, it was a different time. I mean, the equipment that you carry around was leaps and bounds larger than it was today yeah it was yeah it was huge um giant cameras and they were connected by a cable to what we called a deck which was this big recorder that would carry around in a canvas bag with a strap um that had this large videotape that's unbelievable yeah i think it weighed about 40 pounds total i'll, I'll tell you an early story with this stuff um this is, I think, my first year at the station. I was covering a story about some escapees, prison escapees out of Kansas. Who, I think seven of them had broken out, and by the time they had gotten to southwest Missouri, there were two remaining. One mm-hmm. of them was a known killer, killed a police officer. Oh, man. And National Guard had been called in. This is in McDonald County, densely wooded, hilly McDonald County, Missouri. And... Our competitors, one of our competitors was able to get a helicopter to go up and, and show the scene. And I thought this is an important aspect of the story. You had to yeah. show the terrain and why this is so difficult, why it's so di- easy for these guys to hide. But a uh, news director wouldn't let me get a, you know, a helicopter. <laughs> so I had I decided on the next best thing. I uh, saw that there was a forest ranger lookout tower. Mm-hmm. You know, these things, I don't know, they're maybe equivalent of a 10-story oh, yeah. building or Easily, more. yeah. And so I had this deck and this camera equipment, 40 pounds or so of camera equipment. So I'm just going to climb that tower. And <laughs> just go right up there. Yeah, it was something um, maybe a little bit more than a ladder, but less than a staircase. And I, when I got to the top, there was a guy up at the top, and he was impressed that I had climbed that thing carrying all that equipment. <laughs> Obviously, I was in better shape in those days. And, and he let me in, and then... The highway patrol helicopter it, it was circling the tower beneath. So not only did I have an aerial shot, I had a shot looking down at a helicopter. Yeah. I wanted to beat the competition. And also in that, that same story, uh, Associated Press, United Press International, various uh, television stations from all around the area, print and broadcast, had sent reporters down there. And they were getting motel and hotel rooms in McDonald County and um, the Knoll area, Pineville area. But I had talked to the sheriff, and he says, look, these guys are hiding someplace, we think, on this mountain, this hill. And they're going to move, I believe, sometime at night. 
And I said, if, if they move at night, these people in the motels, they're going to miss the story. They'll be there for the news conference, but they're not going to get the video. Mm-hmm. So I said, so I'm going to park my car at the mobile command post, the National Guard mobile command post, and I'm sleeping in my car because when they move, I want to be there. Oh, and, my gosh. And the next morning, shortly before dawn, they were moving. They stopped a train because a couple of people apparently hopped on board this train and they thought they just have to be the escapees. They had stopped the train and I uh, got in my car, get in this line of, of police cars and military vehicles that are going very fast to a destination and I just step on the gas and go as fast as this little four-cylinder vehicle <laughs> will take me trying to keep up and I was the only vehicle that got into this area before they blocked it off um, with roadblocks yeah it's the only news vehicle they got in so I thought okay now I'm going to get this video no one else is going to get it but I still have to shoot it and the train had been stopped at the top of this hill this uh, ridge area we were at the bottom of it and all these national guardsmen and police officers are running up this hill they have bulletproof vests by the way I don't but I have 40 pounds of equipment and I'm running up it we waist high grass and, and trees and I get up to the train and I know that the action is going on just on the other side of the train the train has stopped and some National Guard members say sorry you cannot let you pass this and I'm thinking, you gotta let me pass this <laughs> I you gotta know, get I've it. Run, I've run 99% of a marathon. I've got to get yeah, no to the kidding. finish line. And they said, nope, you're not, not going to. So, okay. And I, so I went a little further down the tracks and I waited till their back was turned and, and, and I crawled under the train. With the equipment? With, so with you the like, equipment. Well, you just like push it through? Uh, yeah, push or pull and get it through. And, but any, yeah. Man. But I, I wanted the shot. That is I had to have the shot. Yeah. And, on the other side, when I get there, there is, they have one of the escapees, and he's, he's handcuffed, and he's sitting down at a tree, and I'm getting shots of them with, with these law officers around him, and then out of the woods, a group of law officers come, and they're escorting the other escapee, also handcuffed, and I'm getting the video, and I'm so excited. I know nobody else has gotten yeah. this, and then I have to get this video back to the car, and it's starting to rain. And this equipment, in addition to being heavy, it's very sensitive. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, the tape in there. Uh, yeah, oh, the yeah. tape, moisture. You know, that's a deadly enemy, along with smoke and dust and all sorts of things. Yeah. Stuff notoriously would break down. And it's starting to rain. And I'm sheltering this thing. I've got to get back to the car. And I'm running back down the hill. I'm trying to get out of the rain. And I take that tape out, and I'm letting it out to dry. And I'm afraid to play it. I'm afraid to play it. I don't know if it's going to be okay or not. I wait until it dries, the equipment dries, and I play it, and it's there. Oh. And I have this shot. And I um, told the news director, and you know, she was excited. And, and, <laughs> How and, could you not be at that right. point? And I was going to tell that story and says, and by the way, we want to put you on the set tonight. We want you to anchor this story and tell the story. And said, yeah, cool. I, I got to go by my apartment first i kind of need to shave and shower i spent the night in the car <laughs> but yeah so got that that was one of the early one of your first adventures big... misadventures with um that tape equipment oh my gosh i was they when i got the job they called me eng director electronic news gathering director which is kind of a glorified title for the guy who had to go in early and check out all of the equipment make sure it was working oh, and assign gotcha. it to the reporters and um one of my responsibilities was that I operated the microwave van um, because we were doing live reports every day at noon. I got great training, by the way, from a guy I should mention. His name is Jerry Waltrip. He was a reporter somewhat considerably older than me. He still mm-hmm. lives in Pittsburgh. I run into him once in a while. He's, he's a great guy. That's awesome. But he taught me on reporting and running the microwave van. On the live, tr- on the live van. Yes. Yeah, okay. And, and frequently at noon... I would be both the live van operator and the reporter. I'd just you know, shoot myself <laughs> reporting live. Yeah. Early on, this is, again, I don't know. I'm probably telling too many of these stories about No, you're, you're fine. I don't know. This was, again, this was um, my first year there um, operating the live van. I, um, 
you had to sometimes get in a test signal from various locations mm -hmm. um, for in anticipation of a live shot that you would be doing the next day. And I was doing that at the North Park Mall, the parking lot of North Park Mall in Joplin. We we're going to be doing a live shot the next day. I had to get in some a test, make sure that it was okay. And to do that, those days you had to climb up on top of the van and pull a series of cables and this telescoping pole, this antenna would rise up maybe 30 feet above the thing. And, and then in order to bring it down, you had to bring it down physically. And was, you know, you had a generator. And anyway, I'm trying this at different spots around the parking lot until finally we get a signal in. I think great because I've got a lot of things to do. I've got an interview I'm, I'm late for. And, and Are you still like all suited up? Like, I mean, in your nice attire, you're climbing up on this In those thing. days, we're, since we're both photographer and reporter, I would never say we wore nice attire. I, I know that a news director sometimes would complain about that. Yeah. Say, look at how nice the reporters are at the other, at the Kansas City station. I say, yeah, and they're getting paid Kansas City wages. <laughs> and by the way, they have a photographer who's wearing jeans and a t-shirt. Yeah. And we're being we're being everything. But but yeah, I was I was hot and sweaty. But here's the point: I was pulling out of the parking lot at the North Park Mall. And after raising and lowering and raising and lowering and raising and lowering this 30-foot pole, mm -hmm. I had forgotten to lower it. Oh, no. So there are a lot of reasons you shouldn't drive down the range line with a 30-foot pole on the top of <laughs> I could think of just a couple. What would you think would be the number one reason? I would think that there's a lot of things that are hanging over ah, on good, streets. Lance. You know what the first of those is? Uh, street light. Oh, very good. <laughs> winner, winner. Yeah, I uh, discovered that as I was uh, pulling onto range line, and I felt this kind of jerk of the van. <laughs> it's pretty instant. Yes, and then suddenly everything registered. And I look in my rearview mirror, and I see most of a 30-foot pole crashing behind me to the ground and a street light crashing beside me. It took it completely off? It took off uh, the most of it. Oh, gosh. And it took down the traffic light. And I had been working at the station for less than a year. This van was worth more than I was going to make in several years. <laughs> yeah. I was parked in the busiest road in our entire viewing area, driving a billboard, <laughs> With obstructing our traffic. Fortunately, no one was hurt because apparently the other cars around me, they were aware enough to see this fool driving down range line. <laughs> With a 30-foot tower. With a 30-foot tower. And I, I got on the, we had uh, radios, at that mm -hmm. time, the CB radios. I, I called Kara and I told her what happened. She, um, you know, said, wait there, called the police, did an accident report. I, I was calm because I knew that I was going to be fired. There was no suspense. <laughs> You're like, that's it. I still had a fresh resume tape and resumes, I, you know. And, but what I didn't know was that the station was wanting to update that live van. The, the, the technology had changed a bit, and now insurance was going to pay for it. So oh. unintentionally... Fortunately, for me anyway, and I guess for the station, I had provided them with a new library, microwave. <laughs> a little upgrade. Yeah. That's crazy. And I mean, you've probably seen a lot of technology changes in, in your day, I would imagine. I mean, from going from that to, yeah. I mean. To well, different formats of videotape. From, oh, even from, that, yeah. You know, large, smaller, smaller, smaller. Of course, then to digital, and there is no tape. The cameras... Mm -hmm got smaller and smaller and more reliable, um, more portable, more light sensitive. It wasn't just the cameras we carried around. We had to carry around large uh, light uh, bags with lights and these big battery belts that we wear around our waist like um, Batman utility belts that <laughs> you would hook the lights into. So yeah, that technology changed. Um, I mentioned typewriters. Have you ever used a typewriter? I have never used a typewriter. I'm only I'm only 27, or turning 27 this month, I should say. You have never. I've never used. used a have you ever seen a typewriter? I have seen one. My grandparents had one, uh, so I have seen one. I've wow. felt it, like you know the oh, tactile. Oh, you, oh, you, felt you know, it. Wow. But I've never actually used one yeah. for any like practical tactile. purpose. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was that. Yeah. <laughs> and. Uh, I know it's primitive by today's standards, and, and, but it was a different type of writing on a typewriter. Oh, because yeah. Because 
you know, today, of course, you can copy and paste. You can rearrange. You can delete. You can add in the middle. Mm -hmm. If you're typing on a typewriter, you had to think through before you started. Yeah, I feel like that could be the said for a lot of, you know, those kind of analog type of things. You know, film, for example, and oh, digital yeah. cameras now. I mean, heck, you know, our small camera that we're recording with, you can just shoot pictures all day, provided you have the memory. But with film, it's, it's so, you know permanent you know it's on imprinted on that film or like a typewriter it's printing right. on and that we, paper. we talk about film you know generically this is before i started there but back in the very early days of tv at koam before videotape they used film film oh, yeah, that I is mean, film that they would have to shoot the news story take it back to a dark room process quickly dry with a fan to get it on the news on time when they would edit it they would have to physically cut and splice film physical pieces of film yeah i mean it blows my mind imagine that and yeah. where we're at now like i said it's very quick and not easy necessarily in all regards but it's just definitely it, it makes the job it allows us to do more with less mm -hmm. we can we are more efficient we're faster um this what we can do is better um Things like teleprompter, for example. Now, when I started there, we had teleprompter, but it was a very different sort of teleprompter because we were typing on paper, and the paper, would, they, it came in like sheets of five or something. So you would type on a page and it had um, copies that would be auto automatically made. Really? Kind of, yes, of, of the others down, you know, they'd be dimmer yeah. and dimmer as they, it would go. But the top one, was the teleprompter page. And we would physically take pieces of paper, tape them together for, for the <laughs> teleprompter. And then they would be taped to a conveyor belt in the studio and a camera was looking down at them. Mm -hmm. And we would kind of roll that, scroll it. Sometimes you would you know, go off to the side and you'd kind of lose it. And if there was a change to the script, it was just something that you had written in on the margins. But that was, <laughs> that was early teleprompter. My yeah. gosh. Yeah. I, and so when did you, I mean, obviously you still do like investigative reports or special reports now and again, but mm -hmm. when did you go to full-time anchoring? See, well, I was weekend anchor first, and that, that started maybe a, a couple of years after I had been there. So mm -hmm. I was then 24, 25. I started, I was 22, um, almost 23. Um, I became weeknight anchor at your age. I was 27. Um, yeah, and, but, but I continued reporting as well, yeah. you know, um, but yeah, it was, it was a different sorts of responsibilities, you know, as, uh, not as a news writer still, uh, as an anchor, in fact, writing more and rewriting a lot yeah. of scripts and also as a sort of coach and instructor to other reporters and photographers and Editors. Do you uh, still enjoy writing more than, you know, do you still kind mm. of enjoy that aspect? Yeah, I do. Um, I enjoy the challenge of it. Yeah. Um, I enjoy the creative process. And when you write for television as opposed to print, it is a different sort of process, a different sort of storytelling process because you have all these different ingredients. You, you write with the visuals in mind, for example. Mm -hmm. You can tell stories in ways that you can't with just a printed word. You, your time constraints are much shorter. Yeah. But you have all of these elements. For example, a quote um, in print can say something, but the sound bite of that same quote can say more. Mm -hmm. you, you hear the expression, you hear the emphasis, you, sometimes the emotion, maybe you see the tear that you can't quite capture with a quote. You, at a hot air balloon festival I shot in college, well, I can describe, I suppose, <laughs> what it looks like to see 50 balloons rising at sunrise in a field. But no words that I could write are as powerful as that single image. Yeah. So, yeah, I enjoy the process. When I talk to kids, and I talk to lots of kids in classrooms, different age levels, I kind of equate it to um, oh, when you're in grade school and you go to art class, 
and you have um, oh, the, the colored paper and maybe the crayons and the magic marker yep. and maybe the glue and you have all of these different elements that you can bring together to tell a story. And that's the sound and the visuals, the natural sound. That is what we call mm-hmm. nat sound. So you don't just see the explosion, you hear it. You all know. those little nuances that kind right, of really that, bring you it, in. Right, that yeah. tell the story in a way that's more visceral than just the written word. Written word is, I don't want to diminish that. Oh, of course not. Oh. And, 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 and by the way, our, our job um, now has evolved more toward print in some ways and print has evolved more into ours because everybody now has websites they have these yeah. different platforms to tell their stories so we also are telling stories in printed form in addition to visuals and uh, the print media are kind of doing the reverse it's weird most how- of them have have video yeah. platforms now they found that like middle ground right um a couple questions that i always had and we'll kind of talk about the future but like you talk about the visual aspect and how moving it be and stuff like that and mm-hmm. how has it been for you through the years on such i mean massive events in you know not only you know u.s history but human history i mean as far as like you know challenger or you know the twin towers or things like that you know obviously when you talked about the tornado you, you said you're kind of taken back just because it's so close to home but for these large-scale events you know how do you you know how does it affect you how do you feel about it because we talked to i think previously about how you know viewers can always turn off the tv right. but you have to you know experience and be able to properly tell these people you know what is happening well I think in some ways every story is or should be about people. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, the emotion of it is um, a central part of most of them. And it could be the Twin Towers. It can be a terrorist attack. It can be a a natural disaster like a tornado. It can be a a fire. But ultimately, the, the story is really about how that affects people and how they respond to it. Yeah. And whether that's a, a largely sad story or a happy celebratory story, yeah. it is about uh, people. I don't know if that's an answer to your question. That makes sense. No, because, I mean, and that really sums up, you know, almost our, our whole podcast. Really, over the whole time, we've really just been talking about different people. Yes, they've done X, Y, Z, or they've been there for X, Y, Z, but at the end of the day, it's just, you know, people who have lived their lives in some shape or form and how we identify with that and how we learn from them from what they've done well or maybe the mistakes they've yeah made hmm. right and then my personal this is a question i think i've had the whole time i don't know why i didn't bring it up sooner but your sign off oh yeah i think is very mm-hmm. iconic well Walter Cronkite had the really iconic. Well, that, okay, he, he was fair. he would end it with this. And that's the way it is. Yeah, that's the way it is. Um, yeah, this this um, developed uh, maybe when I was a weekend anchor or became a weeknight anchor or somewhere in between. I decided I needed to end every newscast with something more than just "see you later." You <laughs> yeah, ta ta. <laughs> um, and part of the thinking on that, I think, was I realized. Hey, maybe I'm going to be doing this for a couple of years. Oh yeah, you know, maybe just maybe, maybe, um, and maybe if you say something once or a hundred times, it doesn't matter much. But if you say it a thousand, ten thousand, over the course of generations, maybe the message matters a little. Yeah, bit. you know, it's um, in the same way that you know you can create or destroy something suddenly like with a dump truck or a wrecking ball but sometimes things are built up or erode slowly like Mm -hmm. a stalactite or a river delta or a grand canyon and this sign off is something that is going to be subtle over maybe a long long period of time so i want it to be something i think it evolved a little bit i think first of all i just said Make it great. I th- that didn't sound right. And I think an English teacher pointed out to me, that seems kind of grating, so to speak. <laughs> I thought she's right. Yeah. And, and I didn't want to just say, 
have a good day because that wasn't empowering enough. I way overthought this, by the way. Oh, I mean, okay, but makes sense. make it a great evening. Um, puts it in our hands. Sometimes news isn't just something that happens to us. It's it's something that we have influence over. Mm-hmm. Race relations, war, violence, um, generosity. That's something that collectively we control. And even if it's something like a tornado that we don't, our response to it is up to us. How we handle it. Right. Yeah. So it's make it a great evening. And then I, I added, let's make it a great evening. And, and the reason for that is because I didn't want this to be lecturing. This isn't something I'm telling you to do. This <laughs> do is something it. I include myself yeah. in this too. This is up to all of us. Let's make it a great evening or the 10 o'clock. Let's make it a great tomorrow. Or sometimes I might admit it. Let's make it a great new year. Let's make it a <laughs> safe and great 4th of July yeah. most recently. And there was a time after the tornado um, when I um, changed it because I knew that tomorrow wasn't going to be great. But I would say, let's make it a better tomorrow. And we worked worked our way back to great. And that can be, I mean, in just different, however, kind of inflection you use can be empowering. It can be, you know, somber. It just, you know, and that just fits so well. As I said, I way overthought it, and now I've way over-explained it, but you hey, asked the question. I And I am satisfied with that answer. Um, and, you know, you've said it thousands upon thousands of times, and you'll probably say it, you know, a few thousand more at least. We'll see. Hopefully. Um, we'll see. Where do you kind of think TV is, you know, going? I mean, like, you've, you've kind of touched on a little bit because yeah. it's going to more that that digital space, but obviously there's always that place for local I hope so. I hope so. You know, it's now with um, different social media, of course, Mm -hmm. everybody can be something equivalent to a broadcaster. Yeah. Uh, But I and and I think news consumers, at least on the national level, have become more fractured. You know, many of them seeking out um, just a verification of their own opinion. And so that creates that sort of echo chamber. Yeah, but, I can. Yeah. But I think, I hope, um, that local news is an exception to that. Yeah. I, I think that um, as we uh, move into other platforms, different ways of telling the news, more timely ways, you know, how we can reach people instantly mm-hmm. through various means, through podcasts like this. Crazy More long-form ways that we never could before. Um, so it, it does expand our possibilities. Um expands our reach, um, not just within the range of our broadcast signal, Mm -hmm. but to anybody who has access to the internet. Yeah. Um, But I do think the local newscast, in some ways, it's always been kind of the um, community campfire at the end of the day. That's kind of what I was thinking. You know, we're really not, you know, up on some pedestal, really. You know, we're right there. And I I think that's really, if anything, will keep it, um, you know, be its lifeline for the future is the fact that we are just on that you know try to be strive to be on that level um a a community touchstone something that yeah community shares one one thing that they have in common and you know that's step one to making it a great tomorrow (laughs) well i feel like we have to end it with that um thank you guys I mean, I've said, I'm pretty sure I've said it, not thousands, but a lot of times. We're so appreciative for everyone listening or if you're watching on the KOM Plus app because that's what's makes this possible. Um, we had a blast with Doug. I've had a blast with you, Dow. I've it's enjoyed been, it. I mean, you. as a young person, yeah, as a young fry, it's cool to see, you know, that history and, you know, how really we're still the same, even if the technology's changed. Appreciate the opportunity, down to sincerely. Yeah. Thanks, um, Thank you to our sponsor, CDL Electric. Grand Lake Casino, and our location sponsor, JB's Downtown. Make sure you check all of those respective companies out on Facebook or check out their websites. Um, Not a lot of details on our next series, but hopefully we'll have stuff on our own Facebook, um, KOM News Now, and you can check us out online at komnewsnow.com slash podcast. And I think that's it. 
we'll see you next time. I chose to invest money into a renewable energy resource like solar panels so that I can sleep at night knowing that I am doing my part to create a cleaner earth for my grandchildren. CDL made that decision easier by educating me on how I can save money and how renewable energy can save the environment. Because what I do today matters tomorrow. Call CDL today to see how you can make a difference. Thank you for listening to KOAM Presents. For the latest content in local news, weather, and sports, please go to koamnewsnow.com.